welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. I don't know how to communicate to you what Jesus has done and is doing right now. That I know that we're not getting it because I can hear that we've not got it in the room. I can look around the room and I know we haven't got it because the presence of Jesus would cause something to happen. After that encounter, after an encounter with Jesus, after the resurrection, after meeting with Jesus, it said, but some doubted. And we've got to be honest right now that in this room, we're in doubt. We want to believe, we do believe, and yet we doubt. And Jesus come this morning, he's here, to do something about that. You've got to put aside your normal things. That's why I said, put your phones down. Even if you're reading scripture, put your books down. Put anything down. That's why I said, stand or kneel or lie on your faces. Because it was to do something that you weren't doing. The King of Kings walks into the room. You don't ignore the King and read his word. Even though reading the word is amazing and there's a right time. Right now, just know that Jesus is here. Imagine him walking around this room, breathing the Holy Spirit over each person. Feel the breath of Jesus saying, receive my spirit. Jesus together. Some of you are thinking about what am I getting out of God right now? What am I doing? What am I meeting with? How am I encountering? What's going on in my head? Just put all of that to one side. Don't be thinking about yourself and what's going on in you. Just focus on Jesus. If you say, I don't know how to do that, then ask the Lord, how can I do that? But know that we're not doing it as a person, one person. It's us together, coming before God together, and the Holy Spirit being breathed out upon us together as a community of people. And that's one reason not to be lost in yourself, not to be lost in your own engagement. There's a corporate thing that God is doing with us together right now, if we will believe. Even if it's a battle to believe. And I believe the Lord is saying that many of the younger Christians of you in this room are responding better than those of you that have known Jesus for years right now. Because he's saying you're only you're hearing things that you've heard before in scripture and thinking in the same ways that you've thought before from the scripture. But remember what God taught us from Ephesians. There is a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Get revelation today on familiar scripture. Expect something different. Don't, oh, that's this track, right? I'm going down here now then. Yep, I've heard that before. That means I do this. Try and suspend all you have experienced and known just to allow the spirit to breathe on you this year is to be different this year is to be different than every other year we have ever experienced whether you've known the Jesus whether you've known Jesus two weeks or 25 years Don't lose your concentration. Don't lose your focus. Hallelujah. Who are you standing with right now? Who is around you? They are your family. 
before Christmas maybe you were there that particular Sunday but one generation faced another generation off in this room one on this side one on this side and they exhorted one another using the words from Isaiah 60 arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you can you believe for that now Will you arise? Will you arise? Shine! I said then, and it's worth repeating right now. You have no light by which you shine of yourself. That light that shines on you is the light of Christ. It's no little light of mine shining in a corner. This is the light of Christ, the glory of the Lord, reflected off of you. So it looks wonderful. It looks glorious. Don't tell me about your problems. Don't tell me about your issues. Just at this moment, forget those and see you are glorious. You are like the full moon on a cloudless night. Shining brightly in the sky, so white. And yet the moon itself is a black rock, but it shines white in the night sky because of the power of the sun shining on it. You cannot even see the sun at night, but you can see the moon shine. This town, this region, there are many, many, many people who cannot see the sun but they can see you shining. But you are not the moon. You are a child of God. And so it's not just a question of being completely passive, as in the sun shining on the moon. Because before it says shine, it says arise. The word that is used there in the Hebrew is speaking to of a woman in mourning, probably because her child has died. So this is not a verse that's saying because you're having such an amazing time, you can shine. It's saying in the dust, in the dirt, in your mourning, in your grief, will you arise and shine? For your light has come. Oh, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Show us something new, something fresh in this. So familiar to some of us, and yet I know that you are saying something different. Something taking hold of you this morning that means you are different and Christopher last week encouraged us into the things of God to see but to make Jesus known this comes from a people that arise from our circumstances and shine Knowing, knowing in their knower, knowing that they know 
that the light of God has come. The glory of the Lord shines upon them. The picture in the Hebrew that it creates here is of the sunrise. If you've ever seen the sun rise in Scarborough over the sea, you can get some amazing skies of golds and reds and colours that look absolutely stunning. And then you see the lights creep across the land, light up the cliffs and go across the, the, the land of Scarborough. You see that glorious gold light. That's what it's talking of here. It's the light of God growing across the land, lighting everything up, bathing each other, bathing everything in a golden glory. That's these days. That's these times. That's this hour. That is the year of the Lord's favour. That is what we're alive for. That is what we're called to. That is why we're here right now. That is why God has placed us together to be part of the rising dawn, to see the rising of the Son, to lift up the name of Jesus, hallelujah, to receive his peace, for the spirit to be breathed upon us, that we would arise and shine, not through our own power, not through our own will, not through our own desire, not by our own strength, but by the spirit, says the Lord. pray. This year I will seek the Lord. This year I will read the Word. But empowered by the Spirit, not by my strength, not by my mind, but by the Spirit who is even being breathed upon you right now. Look to the Lord for supernatural strength, supernatural renewal. Many of you in this room, you feel tired. Well, your strength shall be renewed like the eagles. Either that is wrong or it is correct. Choose now. But I've been weary so long. Good. Say so long to it and step into the strength of God. That doesn't mean you'll never be tired. But it does mean there's a supernatural strength available, which we are going to need for the rising of the sun. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. The divine glory of God, the honour, the majesty, the wealth rises upon you. The Shekinah glory of God. This is our pillar of fire. This is our cloud of glory that we follow. It is here. His name is Jesus. But we are no longer needing to wander around in a desert. The Lord will lead us through the land of His promise, taking hold of His promises. Breakthroughs that we've not seen before. Let that wisdom, that spirit of wisdom and revelation, let Him speak to you. Let Him do something in you. For some right now, you're going through an internal battle. You want to agree, you want to agree with me, you want to believe, but your experience says otherwise. Allow the spirit of wisdom and revelation to show you beyond your natural experience, to show you into his supernatural experience. A trust and a faith that you have not had. storm and the wind battled and blew the boat looked like it was going to sink and they woke Jesus up and he stood up in that boat and he said to the storms and the rage and the wind and the lightning and the rain be still and it was still and they crossed to the other side. Jesus said to them, you have such little faith. Because they could have stilled the storm. And Jesus had already said they're going to the other side, so they weren't going to sink. That was impossible. 
But Jesus stood up in the boat because they had roused him. Their faith was not strong. Their faith was little, but they had roused Jesus. I don't want to tell you our faith has been little compared to where God has taken us, but we have roused Jesus and he's in this room. And to your sicknesses and diseases and shames and worries and fears, he's saying, be still. Oh, you've had little faith, my child. But now let's go to the other side and see what it's like in the promised land. See what I am going to do. What happens as we do this? Isaiah tells us, as the sun rises, as the dawn appears, nations, ethnic groups will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. We're not talking waiting till mid-afternoon. They come at dawn and it's just dawn. Lift up your eyes, says Isaiah, using the words of the Lord to us. Lift up your eyes and look about you. up your eyes right now these are the same eyes the same metaphorical faith that Abraham used Abraham looked up and looked over the land of Canaan and saw it was indeed that land of promise that God had given him it wasn't his at that moment but he could see Holy Spirit stirring you right now. I see it of these nations coming, of these kings coming. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters are carried on the hip. Men, women, and children coming to the light of Christ. And you will look and be radiant. You will be so excited, so happy, so pleased that you see God moving. You will be radiant. You will shine your heart will throb and swell with joy the wealth on the seas will be brought to you the riches of nations will come that is both people and wealth that into what God has been speaking to us in Ephesians and into the scripture which is from John 20 that I was mentioning earlier of the disciples in the room because I think well I don't think I know that God is speaking to us Father we pray as you sent Jesus you send your Holy Spirit upon us 
And Father, as your spirit is upon us, let there be that wisdom and that revelation here in this room. Lord, I don't want to speak anything that's of my own ideas or my own whims or my own intellect. Father, by your grace, I pray that what is said today and what is heard today would be what you have for us. Hallelujah. Because this is truly the time to arise. This truly is a time to shine. And as we rise, as we stand, we need to know, we need to be sure that we are standing on the word. We are standing on the rock that is Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, let a holy fear be amongst us. A fear in the sense of desperate to make sure we are right with God. Desperate to make sure that we are listening to your word. And a fear that we would be distracted by our own foolish desires and whims of our heart. Father, this is a new season. This is a new time that we are coming into. This is a year of favour, a year of opportunity. And I pray, Father, that by your grace, with that spirit of wisdom and revelation, we would take hold of every opportunity you give us by faith. That this, we would see transformation this year. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Father. It's, it's like we need within us the, that spirit that was upon Daniel. I can't remember the exact quote. My, we, I, it was given to us as a present this Christmas from my nephew and niece. And it says something like, and even if not, we will believe anyway. Because we so often impose the condition on God that I will go on believing if I see it. And it's a tough one. Because of course we want to see it. But will you go on believing even if I don't see it? But it's not that you don't want to not see it still. It's that it's a surrender in that to God. You say, this is what I'm believing for. This is what I'm going to see. But even if I don't, it makes no difference. I'm still going to follow you because I know who you are. Who else have I got to follow? What else am I going to do? What else is left for me? So we can get rid of that. Well, if I don't see that bit of provision, if I don't see that miracle breakthrough, I've had it. And we just say, I don't care. I'm going to be like Daniel. Because I've made up my mind that I am following Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. I know God as my Father and I am full of the Holy Spirit. So I don't have any choice anymore. It's a real step of maturity in God to go to that place. Of trusting Him so thoroughly that you will not let go even when you don't get what you want. Of course we want what we want. That's why we want it. Sometimes in God it's a not yet. And sometimes it's just a plain no, because we don't know why. We do not understand the universe. We do not understand how relationships work. We do not know even how our walk with God is going to work out. Which is why previous generations have said, may the will of God be done. Because they knew that the will of God was good. That doesn't stop us arising and shining and crying out and expecting the glory. But there's a surrender to God that says, but even if it doesn't, I'm going to carry on trusting you. And so Jesus, sorry, and so Daniel became a changer of a nation. In his surrender, even if I don't, was what it took For God to be able to use that man to see a nation changed. For the word of God to be brought. For him to see visions of Jesus coming in the second coming. That is an arising. And I think that in that incredible vision of of God and the light shining and coming and the power of the Spirit and miracles and glory, God says, and let me just root it in this for you here. Because that's what Paul does in Ephesians, where we've been reading through. In Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, he gives them all the glories of what it is to be included in Christ. To know that you're called, to know that you're chosen, to know that you are his masterpiece. And Paul addresses them as individuals and he addresses them as the church. Because just as Ron is God's masterpiece, so Ron in Christ is God's masterpiece. So Ron in this congregation in God is God's masterpiece. Together we make a beautiful piece of art. 
And when one of that piece, then one part of that piece of art is missing, it's like there's a blemish on that painting. Everyone is something beautiful that is part of the beauty of Christ. You can't say to the ear, well, I'm a foot, so I'm not having anything to do with you anymore. I'm obviously not part of the body because I'm not like you. I'm a foot and I don't hear anything. I mean, if it said to the nose and I don't smell anything, you might disagree if he's talking about a foot, but you know what I mean. Some feet are very good at smelling. But the point is everything's different. Every person is different. Every person is valuable. We are God's masterpiece. But for so long the church has had this individual mindset that we we can hear that, and I mean the church everywhere, and think, I'm God's masterpiece. That's good. That's true. But you're part of his masterpiece as well. His poema, the Greek is. You're part of a poem. One line of a poem may be beautiful, but if you've got the full version, especially when it's written by Achim, it is amazing. So to see all this glory, to see all this wonder, to see revival, to see people getting saved, to see miracles, to see everything that Paul has said, he's just said to the believers, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, Then we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Some of you got there. (laughs) It does sound like the end, doesn't it? It's even used in some liturgical services at the end. This is it. We've got it. Woo! But for Paul, it's in the middle. Because... All the stuff before is brilliant, but it's theory, unless something happens with it. And he goes from this thing of, let's, it's, let's grasp the power of God, together with the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And then he says, so as a prisoner... So he's just talked about who he is in Christ. He's expounding on amazing miracles. He's giving them everything to see the healing of God happen. He's said everything that enables you to be free and live as God's masterpiece. He's done everything is laid there in those first chapters to be the victorious church of Christ, overcoming the world. That's a prisoner then. Because Paul made that decision that said, even if not, I'm his. Which is why he accomplished so much in his life. He had beatings, he was thrown into prison, and ultimately he was martyred. He battled through circumstances, he battled through sickness, but he knew that he had everything to overcome. He had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was. Probably sickness, but maybe not. We just don't know. Lots of theories. Lots of people have got favourite theories. But the truth is, we don't know. Why don't we know? Because we don't need to know. Because that thorn in the flesh represents everything that is a thorn in the flesh to anybody. Something that comes against you that feels like it's restricting you. And yet to Paul, it became and enabled the grace to see him overcome. Some have even speculated that it was his wife. But you didn't know that one. As a prisoner. And he wasn't in Her Majesty's prison Wandsworth, which is probably a pretty grotty place to be. This was the Emperor's prison. 2,000 years ago. It would have been rough. He was chained up. He did have some time when he seems to have had quite a lot of freedom, but he was not free to do whatever he wanted or free to go wherever he wanted. And he probably had Roman guards hanging around. We know he definitely did at times because he talks of talking to them. But he goes from this incredible place of victory and says, but as a prisoner, are you willing to believe for healing? Anyone? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Are you willing to believe for miracles? Are you willing to believe to see people, families and groups of people saved and added into the church of this town? 
Are you willing to be a prisoner? There wasn't quite such an enthusiasm there. But are you? Really, in your heart of hearts, are you? This is another one of those fluffy messages. (laughs) Jesus loves you, la, la, la. Everything's going to work out well for you. Nothing's ever going to go wrong. La, 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 la. Are you ready to be a prisoner? Because whether it's this generation or the next generation, some of us probably will end up in that position, one way or another. Maybe not, maybe. Maybe the revival that is to come will completely change this nation and it will never happen to us. But if you ask many Christians around the world where God is incredibly active, they'll say, I've already done that. I've already been beaten. I've already been persecuted. And I mean persecuted, not told I can't wear a cross. That is a form of persecution. But if we look around the world where people are really suffering, it is is a warning to us. It's a warning to the church to arise and shine. Which will have one of two results. The persecution will go or increase. But will you do it anyway? I'm only going to believe for revival if things are better for me. That's what a lot of people are thinking when they're praying for revival. I want revival because I'm going to be richer. I'm going to be wealthier. I'm going to have a bigger house. There's going to be loads of Christians in church. They'll all be giving, so the church is going to be much richer. I'm going to look brilliant because I'm going to lead people to the Lord. That, that's there in a lot of revival, so-called revival thinking. Real revival thinking says, as a prisoner, because the truth is, you've already been captured by the Lord. There's some real tough stairs out there at the moment. I'm going to call this series the fluffy one. (laughs) Now, this is the one that enables us to see the dawn rising in our land. Of course, it's by grace. Paul was very strong that it was grace that enabled him. But that didn't mean he did nothing, or even just a little bit. He laid his life literally on the line so that he could see that grace at work. So he's outlined this marvellous stuff. Um, we've looked at a bit of this before, and I, I wasn't going to go here this morning. I just feel the Lord taking us back to this. As a prisoner for the Lord then. So after all the stuff that he's spoken of, what he then says next is probably what you'd expect. As a prisoner then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that God has placed upon you. That's fairly expected, isn't it? If you've given somebody an amazing position of responsibility, you want them to live it out in a worthy way. Otherwise, it spoils that position. Well, God has given us this amazing position of responsibility and privilege as the sons of God, as the children of the Lord. So Paul says, so let's live worthily of this. What what are we going to do with it? And it's the next bit, because... If you think of people living worthily, mostly you're probably going to think of sort of holiness and, and righteousness and, you know, all these things, seeing miracles, seeing healings. And Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. That's his first point. Because Jesus was humble and gentle. All that truth, all that power, the dawning of the Lord, arise and shine, so be gentle and humble. What? Surely you're going to tell me to stop sinning? Surely you're going to get, tell me to put this right in my life? As, as your first main point, after all the God is immeasurably more and the love is greater and bigger and higher and deeper, you're saying be patient and gentle? Yeah, he is. Because he's turning the world on its head. 
He's saying, if you really want to see the dawn creep across the land, this is fundamental. And that's what he just begins to outline. It's incredible. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. It's interesting. The first part is how we affect others. Yeah, If we're living humble and gentle lives, then we are going to affect others in a really positive way. If I'm nice to Ron for once, he's gonna, you know, it's going to be nice for him. <laughs> but seriously, if we're gentle with one another, you, know, you can see, that's not good, but we're going to be gentle. Love is gentle. It's not spineless, but it's gentle. And then the next two are how we respond to people to us. So you've got how we affect others, be humble and gentle, and then how others affect us. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. It would be amazing if from one o'clock today, all of us were perfectly humble and gentle every single minute of the day. Wouldn't that be amazing? It would actually be amazing. We, we would all be so happy because it would be just so brilliant. Unfortunately, it then says, and I do mean unfortunately in this context, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Have you ever had to bear with one another? That doesn't speak to me of, oh, it doesn't matter. It's like, yes, okay. It's a bit of gritted teeth going on there. I don't know about you. Because that person has done that again. They've broken that again. They've spoilt that again. They've done this again. Their children are like this again. They've dyed their hair like this again. Whatever. Whatever winds you up personally. It's like, be patient. Bear with them. What a nice place to be around that would be, wouldn't it? But the two go together. Because the two create one another. The more we're humble and gentle, the easier we find it to become patient and bear with one another. And the more we learn to be patient and bear with one another when we're not humble and gentle, the more we can enable us, one another to be humble and gentle. It's a beautiful little circular thing there. And it's fundamental to seeing all these things of God. We could get in a really great preacher who could come in and stomp his Bible and thus says the Lord... Today, you will receive miracles from him. But if you really want to see this breakthrough, this is it. It's not quite so victorious. And I like victorious preaching. I could quite get into doing it like that. Maybe I will. Be humble and gentle. And you could come back to me next Sunday and say, you weren't very gentle in that. You shouldn't have done that. But actually, then you've forgotten to bear with me. And then I've got to bear with you because you've just criticised me and you were probably right. Have you ever found, those of you that are parents, that the most irritating thing in your children is the very thing you do? The thing that annoys you most about them is because you're seeing something in them that's in you that you've tried to hide. That's often the most annoying thing about your children. The thing that winds you up most about them. Just ask yourself, is that really going on in your head, actually? Probably that's a different manifestation. But what the Lord is kindly showing you through your child is what you're like. Because you sowed it there. (laughs) Oh! But then... That bears out in the church. I have this nightmare that the word says that you, because I preach to you, are the fruit of my preaching. God help me. (laughs) But there is truth in that. It's my responsibility that God has placed on me and the others in leadership. If you're doing a bad job, it's shown us for. (laughs) okay I'm teasing a bit there but you get the point make every effort the Greek is even more urgent than the English take every pain 
pay every cost, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. When someone wanders off, don't think, always oh, the pastor going to go after them? Go after them. When you think somebody's lonely, don't think the church needs to do something about it. Do something about it. This is the church. I'm no more church than Nigel is, than Richard is, than anybody sat in this place is. That's the church. It's one of the funniest but saddest things in the world when you hear somebody say, the church didn't do anything. You are the church. And no one part of that church is better than another part of the church. That's why we do things like try and organise into house churches and groups like that to try and help to enable us to care for one another. The pastor is to equip the people for the works of faith, not to look after everybody. The pastor equips the people to be pastoral so that we care for one another. It's the only way. When you think of how that church grew, it's a thousands, the early church. Peter didn't make personal house calls every day on every single person. They had to care for one another. They had to teach one another. You don't get the evangelist to do all the preaching and you just bring someone along to the meeting. The evangelist equips us to do the work of being witnesses in the world. The apostle isn't somebody that you go to to get all the miracles and all the breakthroughs. The apostle equips you to be apostolic, to see breakthroughs, to see things happen, to see things change, to see things new. The prophet isn't the only person that grows a beard. You always have to have a beard to be a proper prophet. And comes forth and says, thus says the Lord. This is the word according to the Jews. Something like that. That is not a prophet. Definitely not. In my, in my first church days, we had a lady that would sometimes visit that caught, said she was a prophetess. And she would come with her friend. Her friend was very important to the prophetess because her friend would keep going, yes, amen, yes, amen. And when the prophetess took a breath in her long prophecy, she would say, yes, and amen, which stopped you from getting in there. But I used to anyway. Thank you very much for that. Let's move on. Um, we had a very serious prophecy about how we were all going somewhere not so nice because we had not listened to her. But it was the same word every week. And it was not from God. The prophet, male or female, equips us to be a prophetic people. A people that hear God and speak the word of God into situation after situation after situation. It's not that a prophet doesn't get prophecies, but their role is to equip us to be prophetic. Make every effort to keep unity. If someone's falling away, if someone's struggling, look after them. Don't expect the church to do it, because we are the church. The church should do it, but we're the church. And that's the way that the dawn will spread across this land. Cheryl, every day, meets people I never meet. She talks to people I never talk to. And she can communicate with those people probably far better than I ever will, because that's where God has placed her. It's a nonsense to think, I can preach the word and Cheryl can't. It's just that we share the word in different ways, in different places, at different times. The Jones family, like they're surfing, I like the idea of surfing. <laughs> Till I feel how cold the North Sea is. I have actually stood up on a, surface, a surfboard, coming in on a wave. It was some time ago. But they have a calling and they're reaching and touching a group that I will never communicate to on a daily basis. They may bring them along and I may meet them through them and then we'll have a connection. That might happen. But God has placed them to bring the word of God, to show the life of God, to share the love of God with the people that they meet. But that's then true of everybody in this room. And yes, bear with me. Bear with one another. Because I'm well, not Jesus yet. I don't know about you. 
I want to do it better. I want to be better. I want to walk higher. I want to be closer to God. I want it to be that I never get angry. I want it to be that I'm never impatient. But I'm learning. And I'm walking. If you'd known me 30 years ago, I looked much the same. If you'd known me 30 years ago, you'd have known how impatient and how angry I could be. I was very good. Maybe 30 years ago, it's not quite enough. I'm getting older than I think. That was 25. No, we've probably got to go back 38 years, if you really want to know. If you want to see the day when I was so angry with my dad, I punched a hole in the wall. And he would never mend it. It was in my bedroom. He said, you need to keep seeing that hole to remind you of what that temper did. I stuck a poster over it. (laughs) But I knew it was there. (laughs) Because God has changed me. And then there is why we've got all this. Well, make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace, the shalom. There is one body, one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's in that trinity, in that verse, it talks of the one spirit, the one Lord, which is Jesus here, and one God and Father. A unity is a unity because we have come into a relationship with a community that is relationship. It's the community of God that is the trinity. God in three persons. The problem with persons sometimes is you imagine like three individual people. And, it's, 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 and people have argued over how you interpret that bit. Sometimes relations is a good... Imagine the three relations. They are, they, the, the God exists in unity because he relates to one, himself. But it's not himself because they're three persons. How many of you know that God is love? Have you ever thought that in the beginning, therefore there must have been... God in three, because a person on their own cannot love themselves, therefore God could not be loved, because there's nothing to love. He would be a narcissist. And God is definitely not a narcissist. Even in the beginning, even since the dawn of time, there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, in this internal relationship of love, which is what we come and join. It's a dynamic, exciting thing. So often people try to get their heads around it from a theological point of view. They say one plus one plus one does not equal one. No, but one multiplied by one multiplied by one equals one. So forget the mathematics, it's irrelevant. One minus one minus one is minus one. How do you, got less than, how do you get less than zero? You cannot analyse a relationship through mathematics. <laughs> There's one. And Paul, Paul finishes this, or put where I'm going to finish this little section. But to each one of us, grace has been given. See, we won't ever do what God's calling us to do right now. It's way beyond us, unless we rely on God's grace and God's favour. If you start to get down, if you start to get depressed, if you start to get miserable, it's because you're beginning to step away from the grace. It's the grace that will enable us. When I think of what God wants to do amongst us, I know that I am not the leader to do that. I do not have that capacity. But by the grace of God, I do. And by the grace of God, we do. And by the grace of God, we do. If we will be patient and gentle and humble and bear with one another in love, because we will get it wrong. We will make mistakes. Praise God. It's quarter to one. Can you just have a look at John 20? Maybe we'll have a proper look at it next week. That's what I read early, so I suppose we've had a bit of it. I just want you to see. It was talking of the Trinity as I was just now, that you are not... There's not some remote God in the sky. We are joining this eternal dance the perichoresis, as we've called it before. This is the Great Commission in John. If we talk about the Great Commission, most people, if you know your Bibles, think about Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. Here is John showing Jesus giving the Great Commission to the disciples at a different time and in a different way, but it's the same thing. I actually prefer this one. 
It's when Jesus appears in the room, as, we were, as I was reading earlier. So Mary has come back to the disciples. Five minutes, give me five minutes, all right? Mary has come back to the disciples. And in fact, Mary is being the apostle to the apostles here. She's met with the risen Jesus, and he has sent her to the apostles. Don't you think that's cool? She's the apostle in this situation to the apostles. She is. Turn that on your head. She comes to the apostles, tells them that she's met with Jesus. But this is Mary Magdalene, dubious past. And she's a woman in their culture. Peter and John, they possibly believe. We don't really know. They certainly run and check it out. Or at least John runs and Peter goes as fast as he can because he's a bit older. John runs straight in. It says he believes. We don't know what he believed at that point because he's still back in this room of doubt and fear. But he saw something in those folded grave clothes. Peter just seems confused at this point. And the point I want to make out of this is this, this, this group of disciples in a room with possibly only one believer in the room who's Mary. At that point, you would not have believed that they would be the group that would turn the world upside down. If there was a a Time magazine award for the most likely group of people not to influence the world ever, it would have been those disciples hiding in fear with the doors locked. And yet, they turned the world upside down. Why? Because Jesus walked into the room. They encountered God. That encounter with God, that transcendence, that wow, Jesus. And however it happens, it doesn't just happen in, in worship here, although it does happen in worship here. What's transforming? That was 20 people. They were less educated than us. They hadn't known Jesus as long as a lot of us know Jesus. And there was only a small group of them. Our job's easy. When we spill out of this upper room, we can change the world. If we rely on that encounter with Jesus. But it wasn't the only thing that happened. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Shalom. Shalom Alechem. It's like the Arabic. It's the same thing. If you've heard Arabic people greet one another, they say, Assalamu alaikum. It's the same words in Arabic. It even sounds very similar to the Hebrew, as it often does. Assalamu alaikum. Shalom alaikum. They're not that different, are they? They're certainly a lot more similar than English is to the Hebrew. And you reply, which means, yes, and the peace of God to you as well. What a great greeting. It makes you think, we should do that. <laughs> it's, you're, 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 you're releasing blessing and the complete perfect peace of God over one another. That's a good greeting. Might freak everybody out if we started doing it and they'd be looking for a minaret on the top, but you know, it's a good thing. I suppose we could say it in Hebrew, Shalom Alchem. Anyway, he says this to them, he releases the peace to them because that peace is going to still fear. The peace is going to still everything that's within them that is preventing them from being that life-changing group. It's not going to be the only thing that happens because they don't go from this room to turn the world upside down. Jesus is preparing them for that encounter with the Holy Spirit that's going to come at Pentecost. But he shows that's what's going to happen. It says that uh, he showed them his hands and side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You know, when we see God, that really is our response, uh, to be overjoyed. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He's not saying, he's not giving us a, a power and authority to forgive sins because only God does that. He's saying this message that I've given you, this gospel message, go and tell people there is forgiveness. That's what it means when, when, when Jesus is saying this. Go and show them that the gospel offers forgiveness. 
And then that places a person in a place, once they have the revelation, in a position of choice to accept the forgiveness or not to accept the forgiveness. If they accept the forgiveness, they are forgiven. And if they don't accept the forgiveness, they are not forgiven. So this is why it's the Great Commission. But what I love about it is you realise that John here is given a Great Commission from God. But it's not just like he's got his own individual little bit. It's as the Father sent Jesus, John, Jesus says, I'm sending John. The same call, because we've all joined the same relationship, Trinity. As the Father has sent Jesus, so he is sending John. So receive my spirit, says the Lord. Powerful, isn't it? It's, it's not a little call, it's the same call that the Father gave to Jesus puts the Great Commission in context. And it puts it in the context of the Trinity, which is so easily forgotten in theory. The Father sends us. Jesus is sending us in the power of the Holy Spirit. There, there's a lot more there that I could say. As Jesus dispensed peace to the world, we're going to go and dispense peace to the world. That's what we do. We go and say, peace be with you. Peace be with you. It's why you can't separate what's sometimes called the social gospel and just preaching. They are the same thing. It's, it's reaching humanity. Jesus didn't come just to a small group of people that would believe in him. He came because he loved the whole world. And when he went amongst the people, he demonstrated that God's love was for all. He healed everyone that came to him, not just those that would be believers. And his teaching and his understanding was for changing communities. It's loving the whole person, not just, oh, they need to be saved to go to heaven. That is essential. But so is working to see people out of debt. And food banks are good, and it's great that we support them, and we must support them, we must be working. But we also need the Christians that are on the other side that are ensuring we have an economy and a desiring government that means food banks aren't necessary as well as education to enable people to step into things that means they aren't in poverty, as well as schemes that enable people to get free of drugs to enable them to not go into poverty through that route. Because we're loving a whole person, we're reaching out with a whole person. It's being the light of the world, it's breathing peace into a community. And we're here to bring peace in Scarborough, in Hummonby, in Filey, in Thwing, in Driffield, in, in all the towns and villages around us. Peace, I speak to you. As you drive through the, the limits of the town, in or out, you can say, Shalom Alechem. Or Salam Alaikum, if you like. It's not evil language, it's just Arabic. Sometimes people are scared of it. There's a lot of Arabic-speaking Christians in the world. Those disciples, and this is where I finish, just with this thought. Those disciples hiding in a room that changed the world. You think of their immediate environment that they had to go to. Because we think it's tough. You've got a group of people who were stubbornly religious, the Jews. You've got the Greeks who were stubbornly intellectual. And you've got the Romans who were just stubborn. Now, <laughs> now you've got the Romans who believed in a whole Parthenon of gods that fitted their culture and their environment a darn sight better than Jesus Christ seemed to. We haven't got it tougher. So that's why this room, with an encounter with Jesus will turn the world upside down. It just means we have to arise. It just means we stand in what we know. And we don't allow our shames and failures to bring us down. This row of people, this row of people, Alex, Levi, Darren, they are world changers. Scarborough is a better place because you're here. 
as you arise and realise this is Jesus. We so often get weighed down by what everybody around us believes and says and speaks over us. Let's arise and throw it off. And realise that everyone here has a call to change in amazing ways because of the grace of God. Praise God. I will finish there. Thank you for listening on Beyond Quarter 2. Um, as we finish, quick reminder, God Encounter, it does start again this week, Thursday nights. If you want to come along uh, for that, it's just, well, it is what it says on the tin. We aim to just meet with God. That starts at half past seven. Um, is there anything else I need to mention? Sorry? Street angel training. When does that begin? Street well, it's not street. It's it's all angel training. Um, if you and we'll do a bit. We need to do more about that next week, then, Brian. Give some time to that. You here? Is it next week? You're here, or you're going elsewhere? Okay, I'll do it then. But anyway, <laughs> let's throw that out there. One of the things we do that changes this town is what the work of the angels does, and the next group of training is beginning. So if you want to be part of that. See Brian, or see Michelle, or see Adrian, uh, or see Kay for Youth Angels and talk to them because it's a great thing to get involved with. That's all I can say. All right, be blessed, everybody. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.